This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Equity Mind. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to the Equity Mate Summer Series of 2020 brought to you by Superhero. Over 12 episodes, we're going to be deep diving into some of Australia's largest and most well-known companies as selected by you, the Equity Mates community. Uh, these are some special bonus episodes that we've got where we are going to be asking some of the harder questions to the CEOs of some of the companies that we've been diving into. So stay tuned for those. But uh to kick it all off, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this uh, bonus episode uh, and this interview. I think we're going to get out a lot out of it. Uh, it's an interesting company we're going to be speaking about. Mm. And it's had a phenomenal listing on the ASX. Mm. Um, so Absolutely. I'm excited to get stuck in. So without further ado, we are incredibly honored to welcome Andy Taylor, the founder and CEO of Doe, uh, to Equitymates. Andy, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Andy, Doe has been a hot uh, company in our community of late. You've just listed and uh, as Alex said, it's been a pretty phenomenal result, I guess, uh, especially if you were lucky enough to get through the Equitize sort of pre-IPO. Some of our community members have done very well for yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little bit of background uh, on Andy. Andy is a serial entrepreneur in technology before founding Doe, he co-founded Society One, which is Australia's first peer-to-peer -peer lender in 2007, co-founded Unity ID in 2009, and founded Yatango in 2012. In 2015, Andy was nominated for EY's Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and in 2016, he founded Doe, a company on a mission to democratize banking and make the world financially healthier, which we have spoken about in, in the episode they're taking an AI-first approach to helping people spend wisely, pay off debt, save more, and build wealth. So some pretty important financial uh, literacy, I guess, mission there. So Andy, we're looking forward to cracking into a bit more about Doe and um, asking you, as I said, some of the tricky questions. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, we'd love to start by hearing about your company in your own words and, and how you think about the company and, and, and what you think, I guess it's sort of mission and, and what, what you want to achieve with Doe. So to start off with, what is Doe? Yeah, well, look, um, we really view ourselves as a, as a purpose-driven fintech business. Um, 
we're trying to actually disrupt the, the, the business model of banking as, as well as the customer experience of banking. So we're, we're kind of coming at it from two angles. And, and this is where the, I guess the misconceptions sometimes come in. We're certainly not a neobank in the sense that uh, we've gone to become a licensed deposit taking institution and uh, be mobile focused in terms of, I guess, a better banking offering. For us, the problem that we've always come back to that we're trying to solve here is how do we how do we help people better manage their money and and live financially healthier? And for us, the the problem of that stems from the business model of banking, which is predominantly designed to pay you as little as possible for your deposits and lend it out on the other side and make a rather large margin. And um, it's not conducive to actually uh, it's fostering positive behaviors on, on, on money management or spending. And, um, you know, the, the, this sort of problem we've looked at now, it goes back 10 years to when, when we looked at Society One, which was, you know, technology is, is coming to disintermediate the banks. Um, it's empowering people. It's providing transparency and a level of control that people have never had. And now people have access to so much information that they're very intelligent compared to how they were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, we, you know, we think banks have lost their way, uh, and that, that was really highlighted by the Royal Commission, I think, uh, lately. And, and we've got a very, I guess, succinct view of where banking's going, which, which for us is it's going to become fully autonomous in how people manage their money in the futures. I think this whole notion of internet banking or self-service banking is going to disappear. And, and, and we are, you know, re really focused on building that next engagement model, which is all about artificial intelligence and making better decisions for you and helping you change your behaviors around how you spend your money. So what was the journey to actually founding Doe? Was this an idea that has always been in the back of your mind or as you've gone through founding many of the companies that we spoke about, was there a light bulb moment? What was sort of that journey to get to, I guess, the IPO? <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, it's only with hindsight, I guess, you reflect. And I think it's taken me a while to crystallize, I guess, my purpose and, and, and what I really want to do. Um, I think early on with Society One, it was in the midst of the Web 2.0 boom. Um, you know, we came at it from a credit card consolidation point of view and how to solve that problem, or certainly I did. And the notion there was if the power of the community can facilitate the transaction, why do banks need to exist? You know, and this is where social lending, which then became peer-to-peer -peer lending sort of came from, which is if I need to borrow some money to consolidate my debt, I'd rather have the crowd provide me with that funding and I can get a price based on my unique data set. Uh, and, and that sort of spurred it on for me. And I think where the learnings came early with Society One was we were kind of bottom of the funnel in terms of how we were trying to solve that problem. You know, we you came to us for a personal loan. We gave you a price based on your credit score, but typically we never really saw you again. You know, there was no ongoing engagement. And where I got quite passionate was, if we're really going to solve this problem, we need to be top of that funnel. And for me, that was always at the bank account level. When the salary comes in, we need to be the ones helping you provision and distribute that money uh, and making the right decisions. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 it does. It does. Now, I think um, an important distinction we should uh, we should establish at the top uh, in the media, Doe is often described as a neo bank. However, as you've mentioned, uh, that's probably not the most appropriate description. So, I guess maybe 
Can you explain how you're both similar and then what are the key differences between Doe and some of the other neo banks that are that are sort of popping up in the Australian market? Yeah, it's a great question. It's popped up a lot recently. Um, and I think the problem, the definition of neobank in different markets is quite vague. You know, I looked at Wikipedia's definition last night and ultimately it's a digital-based platform that's offering transactional banking services. So from that sense, we are a neobank. The key difference with us though here is that we're not an ADI. We're not sitting here saying um, your funds are being held by Doe. It's very clear that the funds are held through a bank sponsorship model where the bank is the custodian sitting behind this platform and are the trust mark, if you like. So the, the government guarantee comes from the bank we have partnered with that hold your funds. So, you know, we, we are very focused on actually saying we're more of a financial wellness platform and where we're going. And, and ultimately we're a SaaS business and how we're going to monetize because we sit on top of the banking infrastructure, which, which let's be honest, is pretty commoditized these days. The bank gives us a bank account and a, and a debit card proposition, but ultimately we're building the technology around that. Uh, so that, you know, it, it's a very important distinction because the Neo Bank model is, is very much a mobile focused approach to self-service banking um, and taking deposits and paying interest on, on that money. So let's move to the going public and the IPO process. We have done a, a number of episodes this year, sort of deep diving into the various processes that companies go through, be it a two-year process, a two-month process to, to IPO, and have also spoken to some CEOs who have, have gone through it. And it's always such an interesting journey. You, you guys IPO'd in October of 2020 this year, very recently. What was that process like? It was, it was a journey. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was definitely one for the book. Um, <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, we, we started um, conversations last year on this and um, we ended up going the reverse takeover route because um, we thought it would be an easier path being that we were at the stage we're at, um, finding a technology company that that had a good balance sheet um, presented an opportunity. But I think, you know, obviously COVID had an impact on this as well. That process was was drawn out a bit longer than we'd hoped. But look, it's, it's obviously been a great outcome in the end. But certainly, it, it's it's um, it's a journey uh, to list, especially at our stage. So uh, most companies that list will go on a bit of a roadshow and try and sell their shares to, you know, the top end of town, the investment banks and, and the like. You took a little bit of a different approach and raised capital through Equitize, which is a, uh, I guess, a crowdfunded venture capital platform. Why, why did you decide to go that route um, and how did you find it? Yeah, really, really great, actually. Look, we've, we've always been big believers in crowdfunding. Um, we want our customers to become shareholders and vice versa. And and I think what, what our customers see is that they're buying into the vision we're trying to create. So early on, we, we did a, an initial uh, pre-IPO round on Equitize where it really well got strong support. And it was important for us to maintain that support going into the IPO. So, um, you know, what, what equity crowdfunding gives you is, is a marketing platform. But, but a strong supportive retail base of investors. Before you know, this round we just completed this week, we start to bring in more institutional investors into that uh, cap table. 
So Andy, you mentioned a reverse takeover there. So for members of the community who probably wouldn't be aware of what that means and the difference between a traditional IPO, are you, are you able to just explain what actually happened? Yeah, so a reverse takeover is, is, is reasonably quite a common approach to early stage companies looking to, you know, get liquidity on the ASX. So there's, there's some really big examples uh, of RTOs whereby you effectively take over an existing listed company that, that typically has a solid balance sheet with some cash uh, in the bank. And uh, you you rebrand that, that company to, to, to list um, uh, by the back door, as they call it. So, you know, um, EML Payments is a good example of a company that did this, obviously zip money back in the day. So it, it's, it's not an uncommon way for, for companies to, to IPO. So uh, you sold shares uh, via Equitize at three cents. We're speaking on the 3rd of December and uh, your share price is currently 28 cents. So yeah. um, <laughs> people that participated in that Equitize round have almost uh, 10 back in what, a couple of months. So you've probably got some very happy shareholders there. Two questions. First of all, do you regret pricing it at three cents? Do you wish you'd priced it a bit higher? And second question, um, what do you attribute the rapid share price growth to? So, look, I mean, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but no, look, <laughs> I, I, look I, I'd rather this outcome, right? And I'm aware, and this is probably experience talking now, but the worst thing you can do with, with some other listings that you've seen recently is overprice it. Um, it takes a long time time to recover. I think what's important for us is say, look, you know, we, we're a long-term investment here. You know, we've got a grand ambition. We've got a, a fantastic foundation, but we need some patience to, to build that out over the next 12 months. So look, we, we wanted to not uh, take the mickey in terms of pricing, reflect the fact that we're, you know, we are where we are in terms of our growth cycle. And it's great that those people that have, you know, back to early on have, have got the upside. And and look, you know, if they can hold, the upside will hopefully be fantastic. So this is not a short-term story. It, it's a long-term uh, investment story. So we have spoken in the episode where we did a bit of a deep dive into Doe about um, what the future may hold and I guess what your, your broader mission is. And uh, while we were doing that, uh, you guys went into a trading halt and uh, wait on the back of an announcement and it is come to light that you are now going to be playing in the buy now, pay later space, um, an area that is hot. Very hot. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us uh, anything more about what that is going to entail? Yeah. Yeah, look, um, uh, we've been running now in beta for, for just over 12 months. And I think it's very clear for us with the data that we're seeing with customers was the need to replace and the credit card and consolidate credit card debt. Um, whilst we're trying to help people provision for, for the things they want to buy, I think it's very clear that life has gotten away, especially due to COVID, whereby a responsible line of credit to help people pay emergency expenses and, and have though have their back, I suppose, is needed. And I think you know credit has a place in, in overall money management. So. From our point of view, it, it, it wasn't a traditional approach to buy now, pay later. Really, this is what we call an emergency fund, if you like. Uh, we call it a credit jar on the platform that um, if we do our job properly and help you, you should never have to use it. 
but we do realize that life gets in the way and sometimes you, you, you need a bit of help to bridge your cash flow. Um, and, that, and that's really what we're here to do. Now, Andy, you mentioned there are a responsible credit line, and I think the media have really picked up on uh, that term and have used it to maybe contrast uh, what you're trying to do with some of the traditional buy now, pay later companies. Do you think that uh, some of the other buy now, pay later companies are irresponsible? Look, definitely not. Uh, and, you know, we, we don't like to be quoted as, as bashing uh, the sector. Our view on this has always been that we, we see it as a credit product. Uh, part of our mission here is that a lot of our customers don't have a credit score. And, and to get on that credit ladder, you know, we, we want to help them boost that credit score. So, you know, through repayments back of this product, we, we can actually give them some transparency of what it means for boosting their credit score. Uh, but we think it's important for us on this platform to make sure that we're assessing in real time people's financial positions and only extending them the credit that they can actually afford. So it, uh, that's that's really where we're coming from in terms of a responsible product. So other than the data that's coming through for the buy now, pay later space, I'd be interested to know if COVID has uh, brought to light any new trends in the way that customers are looking to manage their money or I guess use the platform, has it been a, a net positive for Doe? Look, it has been, uh, especially being that we're operating in the US, which as you guys probably know, is quite a way behind Australia in terms of cashless payments yeah. and um, and banking in general. So what we've seen is a is a big fast track towards digital contactless payments, which has which really just shot in the arm America needed to move away from cash. And we've obviously seen a big adoption of robo-advisory and digital banking platforms as, as lockdowns have prevented people from going into branches. I would say that uh, we are a little bit behind America in some instances, but I couldn't believe when I traveled over there, the amount of cash that was still going yeah. around and also no pay uh, tap and go over there. So I just mm. found it pretty phenomenal that they were so sort of uh, backward in that sense. Yeah, I think for us being that, you know, the reason we started in the US is that the interchange we're earning on debit card transactions is, is very high compared to, to, to here. It, it's it's a big driver of our revenue model. So we're very fortunate. But but you're right, in terms of open banking, they're, they're, a, long, they're a lot further ahead, uh, you know. So it, it's quite an interesting dynamic over there compared to here. Mm. So Andy, uh, we mentioned the buy now, pay later space and there's obviously some big competitors and, and some smaller competitors in that space or moving into that space. But I, I'm interested in when you think about your core product, this software as a service, AI powered platform that helps people manage their money. How do you think about your competitors in that space? What do you think the landscape's like both in the US where you're active and in, in Australia where you're soon to be active? And how do you think Doe is better or what, what do you think separates Doe from, from some of your competitors? It's a really good question. So, you know, we view ourselves ultimately as building a wealth platform. Um, and this is where robo-advisory is going to become a critical, very large component of the platform very soon. And, you know, we flagged that in our prospectus. So um, when I look at the robo-advisors that have traditionally been siloed, like the stashes of this world, the Acorns, the Betterments in the US, Wealthfront, they focused on a funds under management model to, I guess, democratize investing and give customers access to you know, ETF products. Our view here is that we needed to start with the bank account to solve this before we introduced the wealth management platform. But 
being where interest rates where are where they are, uh, pretty close to zero, the investors are very hungry for yield in this space. And you know, putting them into managed portfolios that are that are balanced, that are risk weighted, and making that super easy and plugged into the bank account is, is really what we're all about. And this is where the the autopilot and the AI really takes over in terms of provisioning money and helping you get ahead. And we ultimately believe once we've got that final component built into the platform in the coming months, that's when we can start to justify a subscription into the platform. Can you expand on the AI piece? Because the way I understand it is that AI is designed to learn over time and I guess um, make decisions. Does that mean that the technology will be tracking how customers are spending their money and give them suggestions on what they should be doing with it or is it, uh, yeah, what's the sort of approach there? Yeah, our view, we call it self-driving money and I think let's use the Tesla (laughs) analogy. uh, (laughs) You know, the the Tesla analogy is good because we all know that cars will become fully autonomous in the next three to five years. Um, But can we imagine a scenario where we jump in the car, there's no steering wheel? I look at money management the same way. It's it's ultimately um, to change customer behavior. Um, and we've researched heavily on this. The wow moment for customers is if I could just have an app in my life that when I paid my money in, it paid my bills for me, it provisioned what I can afford to save and then set up a budget and held me accountable to that budget, that would change my life. And for us, that's the, the, the holy shit moment, right? That, that's the viral moment. But if, if we can get people into that state that they're trusting us to manage their money and we're gamifying that and reinforcing how well they're doing, and I think this is where banking apps have always gone wrong, that all they show you is where your money's gone. Right? <laughs> no one projects forward to say, if you keep going like this, this is what you're going to achieve. And it's kind of akin to health and fitness apps, really, and how they do that beautifully. That whole customer experience gets transformed so right now we're, we're just driving insights through connected account data. The, you know, the first thing we get you to do when you sign up today is connect your existing bank account. That gives us up to a two years worth of transactional data on you. And that's what we use to inform the uh, machine learning model uh, to then build and forecast for you moving forward. So it's a, there's, there's a nice engaging experience on day one rather than a very cold switching message. But slowly now, we'll be, we'll, we'll be announcing uh, the launch of Autopilot in, in the coming weeks. Autopilot, well now, if you turn it on, when we'll, we'll start to sweep money for you and cover those expenses. So it, it's what I call the first level of autonomy, if you like, um, uh, with the goal to get to full autonomy on all areas. Well, I like it. Self-driving money. So I guess that makes you the uh, the Elon Musk of finance then. <laughs> hey, I didn't say that. <laughs> so Andy, one one thing that uh, we've sort of really learned and uh, over the journey here at Equity Mates and it has been reinforced time and time again when we speak to CEOs or investors is the importance of people and culture and how the people leading businesses and the people working in businesses can really make the difference between a successful company and a not so successful company. So we'd love to understand a little bit about the people and culture at Doe. And I guess to start with, um, for you as CEO, do you have a leadership philosophy that you try and embody and try and apply uh, to your work? 
Yeah, I do. And I think, it, again, it's it's the hindsight of experience. You know, the last 10 years from an entrepreneurial journey point of view have been pretty tough to to near horrible. Um, you know, I, I'd certainly say um, I've had to learn the hard lessons to, to, to get to where I am today. Uh, and, I, and I look at that now and say that's been a blessing, but they've been pretty hard lessons. So uh, I think the key for me now from a leadership point of view is surrounding myself with highly competent, skilled people that, that understand their areas and just sitting back and empowering them to do the best job possible. And I think where I was guilty of this before was probably trying to do too much and, and being a little bit too over-controlling. Um, and, and I really do think that's the key. It's, I think good leaders just set, set the right vision and, and hold everyone accountable to, to that vision um, and let them go and do what they're good at. Um, and I think the trick is with where we're at right now, obviously disclosing this funding round is not scaling up too quickly on the people front that it um, becomes uncontrollable, but doing it methodically, being that we've got a really good core at the engineering level and the product level that we don't want to disrupt that too much that it slows us down. And I think that's the challenges I've experienced before and I see out there and when the mistakes are made is that you can grow too fast uh, and that is detrimental to the culture. So. But at the same time, you know, you've got you've really got to pull that growth lever, you know. So, if you could sort of sum up in a phrase or, or a sentence the type of culture that you're trying to build at Doe, uh, how would you how would you sum that up? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good we said question. we'd be we said we'd be asking the tough <laughs> questions. <laughs> Look, don't compromise, right? Um, I think we're going for it. We've got a, we've got a pretty epic vision and. We want to have a crack at it, right? We believe we've got the platform to do it. Um, one of the things I remind the team constantly is just because something's done the way it's done doesn't mean it needs to be done the same way moving forward, right? And bank, banking is a classic. And, and it's trying to get, get the team to think differently, go back to first principles and say, if, we, if we've got a blank sheet of paper here, which we do, how would we redesign this end to end, top to bottom? And, and certainly I've seen, and I don't know if it's an Australian thing, but... I know the Americans are a bit better at thinking this way, but it's, it's it's trying to get out, you know, change the paradigm in terms of thinking that it's okay to think big. That's what's really important for me uh, with onboarding new people now. You know, we have the chance to do it. And if we're 10 years away and we did okay, would we regret it? Or did we, could we hand on heart say we went for it and we, uh, we, we took our customers' feedback and we executed that? We weren't influenced by external forces so putting our investor caps on again um we love seeing obviously strong revenue growth in companies and uh good recurring revenue and ideally eventually um turning a profit so i guess the question is where um both now and in the future are you seeing the platform sort of generating revenue and um yeah maybe sort of talk us through how that the platform is set up where you're making your money yeah look Sure. So again, a big part of the reason why we started in the US was the foundation of interchange revenue on card transactions it really gives us the opportunity to build out this revenue story. Um, we've launched the platform now. We launched a couple of weeks ago. The beautiful thing about the model is once we onboard a customer, they activate the card pay in and deposit funds. We're earning revenue straight away off, off transactions as soon as that card is swiped at point of sale. So that revenue profile now will build quite quickly as we onboard customers. And 
you know, certainly what we said to investors in the last round is a big chunk of the money is going now to growth hacking and scaling up that customer base. And then ultimately, once we've got the products uh, in a really good place with wealth management integrated, we will turn on that subscription and validate that, that SaaS model. But we're fortunate that we have a lot of different revenue opportunities with the data we're collecting and, and how we build in services into that. And I think the buy now, pay later feature or the credit draft feature is a good example of how we can incrementally grow ARPU on a customer. So Andy, thinking about that future and uh, thinking about what is in store for Doe, if you think about the next 12 months, what are some of the key milestones or key steps, I guess, in the product pipeline that you really want to hit in, in this next 12-month period? Yeah. So look, uh, autopilot uh, launch by Christmas is, is the priority right now. That's, that's the start of the automated journey. And then the introduction of robo-advisory or wealth management into the platform. That really, from our point of view, finalizes the foundation. And then we bring the credit jar into that uh, relatively quickly. We, we've got a, you know, a really strong value proposition, which I would say is 10x better than what you see out there at the moment. And, and for us, it's, you know, with, with anything to do with banking, and I think you're seeing that with neobanks locally, is you've got to do the, the cleansing stuff. You've got to do the foundational stuff on, on banking, right? Which, which is time consuming, but necessary. Uh, before you then start to build all the, the value add on top. So, you know, we've been building heavily now for three years. It's been a long journey on the build, but we're quite a way ahead now uh, to some of our peers that popped up around the same time. So getting those key features integrated into the platform is the priority, and, and that's why the bulk of the spend is going to building out that product engineering team to execute that. Mm. So I guess the the other big question if we're thinking about the next 12 months or even a little bit into the future is what do you think the biggest risk for your business is right now um look i think uh, you know one thing we're very focused on internally is building very smart fraud engines um you know fraud is something that um digitally is is um is, is a thing is, is a big thing and you know we've got to be on top of our game there and again you know for the last 18 months the bulk of the work has been building our own sort of machine learning based fraud system to onboard customers and and identify fraud before it happens and we're, you know we're in a really good space on that um so look um that, that that's certainly something that that's that's top of mind um regulation um look I think in the US specifically, open banking, where that's going it is interesting, but I wouldn't call it a risk. I think the, the model that we're adopting uh, sitting on top of banks through a banking as a service model is now well understood. I think it's taking a bit of time to wash through here, but it's coming. And I think Westpac's move into banking as a service is a good validator of that, of that model. Um, so, so really, guys, it's very simple for us. We've just got to build a fantastic product that people want to tell their friends about. And, the more viral and the more value we add, the more successful we'll, we'll be. So um, ultimately, we don't just want to be another banking app. We, we want to change people's lives. And, you know, to stop, I use the testing analogy again, the, the brand and the proposition we're trying to build is very important to achieving that, right? It, it's a premium product that if you use this, you won't be able to live without it. And, and that's what I call a true, you know, utility that's, that's, that's viral. Um, uh, but obviously, very hard to achieve. So that, that's that's what we're focused on achieving. It's it's that it's that moment. 
So Andy, we want to we want to say a massive thank you for giving us some of your time today and uh, joining us to talk about dough. Um, we have one final question, but before we do that, um, if people want to check out more uh, about dough or uh, follow you online, uh, are there any particular places they should uh, they should go? Uh, all the all the social channels as, as usual and and obviously we'd love you to come to the website and uh, download the app for those americans uh, in the audience and and you know come on board and give us some feedback um it's really important yeah and i think for australians you have a uh, a waitlist sign up on your website so if uh if australians have had their interest peaked uh, they can they can sign up and be first to hear about it but Andy, as I said, we, we did have one final question um, and we're closing out all these interviews uh, with the same question. If you think about your company uh, in 10 years' time, if you think about uh, where you're trying to get dough to, what would success look like uh, in sort of 10 or maybe even 20 years' time? For, for me, guys, um, I think I'm at this stage of life and my entrepreneurial journey that, and it sounds really corny, but but legacy is more important now than, than, than anything. And you know, I truly believe we have the opportunity to build a, a truly global technology business and, and scale this to the heights. Um, and, and that's success for me. It, it's seeing dough being used in multiple countries, changing people's lives and, and, and a clear distinction uh, of financial wellness states where people that are using it versus not. Um, and, and I think that that's how we become successful. So, so that's what's driving me. We've got a, we've got a big mission and we want to we just fundamentally think banking is broken. The model hasn't changed. It's just various iterations of the same model. We, we want to change the model and change the game. So, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun, I'm sure, and, it, and it's going to be challenging, but, but that's what we're going for. Love it, Andy. We'll very much appreciate your time today. It's uh, been fascinating to get some insights straight from the mouth of the founder and CEO, something that I know a lot of our audience will take great value from. So, all the best with uh, the journey of Doe. We're very much looking forward to seeing how not only it plays out on the share market, but also in terms of executing your mission and, and changing the lives of um, people in their financial well-being. So uh, thank you for your time and I'm sure we'll keep in touch. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money. 